Good morning, Lighthouse. I am so glad that you're here this morning, and I am so in the dark right now. I don't know, and I'm on. Okay, there we go. All right. I am so excited about this morning, um, and so uh, Rick did a fantastic job leading us to the point where we are today. And uh, before I jump into the message, real quick, I just want to let you know that I am so excited because I've got a friend of mine from Egypt, my friend Andrew, who's sitting right down here. You stand up. Stand up. Let everybody see your beautiful mug. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. I don't want him to get a big head. Yeah, I know. You're already more popular than I am. Okay. Anyway, uh, so we're just going to jump right in um, as we continue this series, Unleashed, all right? We're just going to dive right into the deep end, full frontal right now, just jump into God's Word. But before we do, we're going to start off with something that Rick refused to say last week, but it's upon which all of Christianity hinges, okay? And it's this, and you know this because we've talked about this numerous times, everything, and I mean rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus didn't rise again, then we're just a book club, okay? Everything, and I mean everything, rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, here we are. We've gotten, finally, after, I think, seriously, eight weeks, we got through chapter one, okay? And I understand that Rick had a big clump, and he's right. It is great to be the lead pastor, or as Mel Brooks said, it's good to be the king, okay? And, uh, and I, as far as Rick likes Abbott and Costello's Who's on First, I have it memorized, okay? So, yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, moving on from there. So, we get to what is going to be a flashpoint, a flashpoint, not just in Jerusalem, not just in a religion, but a flashpoint in history, okay? Jesus Christ walked this earth for about 33 years. He walked this earth, flesh and blood, did miracles, died, was crucified, horrific death, brutal, brutal death, died on a cross for my sins, for your sins, so that we could accept God's grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ and have everlasting life if we choose to do so, okay? Then three days later, after that grisly death, Jesus rose again from the, de- uh, from the dead. He was fully alive. He walked on this earth. Now, all of this we've kind of talked about. Walked on this earth for 40 days. Around 40 days, he's walking around the earth. People are talking to him. Thomas, his, his disciple Thomas, actually says, Thomas, put your hands inside the nail scars, okay? Put your hand inside my side where that spear went. Jesus was flesh and blood. He ate. We talked about that. Jesus was eating with them to prove to them that he wasn't a ghost. He was the real thing. He was back from the dead and back in power. And then he literally ascended into heaven right before their very eyes. And then they got together. And they, 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 the, the disciples, Jesus ascended, and then they got together. And that's where we pick it up. Right here. As Rick ended chapter one, we dive in to chapter two, and we're going to make it all the way through the first verse. We'll get more than that, trust me, okay? But the first verse says this When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Luke needs to remind us that about 120 people were gathered together and stayed together, 
okay? If you read and you kind of figure out the timing here, Jesus was around for about 40 days. Ah, we'll talk about that later, okay? And so they're together. They're all together in one place. And what are they doing? They're being obedient to Jesus. Because if you remember, Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the Father has promised, a gift that will clothe you in power. What does that mean? Well, that's probably the question the 120 were sitting there in that upper room asking. Waiting for what? What are we waiting for? Okay? They had no knowledge of what was going to come. They had no power. They had very little to no hope. And now they're waiting. And they're waiting for a promise that they didn't even understand. Wait. That's what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to wait. All right, Lord, it's been three days. Wait. Anytime now, Lord. You can show up anytime now. Wait. Are you uncomfortable? It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Wait. All right, Lord, it's been 10 days. Anytime now, you can show up. It's been 10 days. And they just wait. What in the world are we waiting for? I'm sure that's what they were asking. And the question is as true for me and for you as it was for the 120. What are we waiting for? Or better yet, what are you waiting for? Jesus told the disciples to wait, and wait they did. And the question for you and me today is, what are you waiting for? Some of us here are waiting impatiently for our luck to change, right? I mean, it's got to get better than it's been for the last 18 months. I'm waiting here, Lord. Some of us are waiting for that right person to show up in our lives. Some of us are waiting for the wrong person to exit our lives, right? Some of us are waiting for an answer from the doctor. And we're scared and we're nervous. You know what those 120 people were waiting for? They were waiting for God. They were waiting for God to show up. So the question remains for you and for me. What are you waiting for? We go on in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, Luke doesn't just throw things out just by happenstance, just for the heck of it. So what is it about Pentecost? Why is that Pentecost so important? And I know some of you are going, what in the world is Pentecost? Okay, great question. I'm glad you asked that. Let's take a moment and talk about it. In Israel, they have four major feasts or festivals, four major feasts or festivals that every Jew was expected to participate in, okay? One of those is the Sabbath. That's a weekly festival or feast that we are, that Jews were supposed to participate in. It came from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. 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 It mean, the Hebrew word Shabbat means 
cease. Now, here's the thing about these festivals and these feasts. They served two purposes. One was a celebration of what God has done for us today. The other one was a reminder of what God has done in the past. On the one hand, it's a celebration of God's provision for today. And the other part of it is to remember, to be reminded it was the opportunity for Israel to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel throughout their history. So the Sabbath or Shabbat, say Shabbat. Shabbat means to cease. It's because God ceased working on the seventh day. And the expectation is that we follow God's example. And on the seventh day, we cease working. We rest just like God did. And in that rest, we can reconnect to God. The next festival, the next three actual, the next three feasts or festivals, they are all um, annual feasts or festivals. They happen every year, and every Jewish male was expected to, regardless of where they lived, they were expected to come to Jerusalem for these festivals. So as you can imagine, Jerusalem would be packed out for these feasts and festivals, and and usually they're multi-day festivals. Okay, And one of them is the Feast of the Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. What this was is it was the fall celebration of the harvest. It was the fall celebration of the harvest. And then it was also the reminder of God's faithfulness to Israel in the desert when they had to live in tabernacles or tents. They didn't have any permanent homes as they spent 40 years wandering through the desert. And so they lived in tents or tabernacles. So it was, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. The next one is the Passover. Okay, this is the third one. The second annual feast is the Passover. This is a reminder of when God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then the last one is called Pentecost. Pentecost, okay? And this comes from the Hebrew word Shavuot. Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. Okay? And the Greek interpretation of that word Shavuot is Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. And this Pentecost took place, this festival took place 50 days after the, the last Sabbath of Passover. 50 days after Passover, okay? And usually the people, a lot, the, the, a lot of the people who came to Jerusalem had come from a long ways away from Jerusalem to be at Passover. And so what a lot of them would do is they would take that 50 days and they would just stay and wait for Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, let me back up for a second because I forgot to tell you that Passover is also, um, it is the celebration of the early spring harvest, okay? Pentecost is the celebration of the late spring harvest, when they would harvest grain and cereal and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and so they would celebrate that, and they would remember when after three months, God gave them the covenant or the law at Mount Sinai, and they would celebrate that. Why would they celebrate law? Because we have a misunderstanding of what the law is. When we look at law, we look at policemen, we look at judges, we think, uh, you know, here and now, you're guilty, you've done this. But that's not what God gave the children of Israel when they came to Mount Sinai, after they had escaped from Israel, or from Egypt. 
What God gave them is more in line to a marriage covenant. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're married. How many of you know what your, nope, put your hands up, put your hand down if you don't know your anniversary date. So you're lying. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. All right. Put your hands down. We celebrate our anniversary, right? Well, that's kind of what Pentecost is. It's the celebration of the covenant that God made with Israel when they were in the desert. It came 50 days after the Passover, all right? This was also called, they would also call this the, uh, the festival or the Feast of Weeks because it was a mere few weeks, seven weeks after the Passover. It was also called the festival or the feast of first fruits. The feast of first fruits, which is very interesting that all of this happened on Pentecost. What's the big deal about first fruits? It's interesting that you would ask that because in 1 Corinthians, remember Jesus died about 50 days before. Remember that. At the Passover, Jesus was hung on a cross and crucified and died and buried. Three days later, he rose again. Fifty days later, we have the festival of first fruits. Now, check out what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I get the heebie-jeebies on that stuff. The thought that Jesus was the first fruit after Passover. What does that mean to you and me? Oh, this is awesome. James says this. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That in the same way that Jesus rose again, those of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ will become a kind of first fruits just like Jesus was, and we will rise again too. How about that? That's incredible, isn't it? So that's the setup. That's exactly where we are, okay? And things are about to get crazy as we start diving deeper into chapter two. Now check this out. There's this roller coaster ride called the Formula Rosa. The Formula Rosa goes from zero to 149.1 miles per hour in 4.9 seconds, okay? Rick Alberg try and beat that off the line, right? Okay, zero to 149.1 miles per hour in 4.9 seconds. Can you imagine when that thing shoots out of the gate, your head just goes snap like that, right? And your face instantly turns into like rubber band where it's stretched into its like tightest, right? It's so, there's so, there are, I forget what it said, how many G-forces are involved there, but there's so many G-forces, it compresses your chest and your lungs to the point where you can hardly breathe. My friends, that's what's about to happen after Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So we got to be buckled up. We got to be ready here, okay? Because God is about to unleash something so amazing that it can only be called earth shattering. It is about to change the way everything is done here on earth. Think about it. Those 120 people in that upper room, they're quiet, they're tense, they're uncomfortable. 
in their lack of knowledge and their ignorance. They're unsure of what's going to happen next and when it's going to happen. But all of that is about to change. Everything is about to change. So buckle up because it's about to get crazy. So let's look. We're gonna... comes the... oh, I jumped it too soon. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a bummer. Alex, do, or, or uh, Wes, do I have the scripture verses for verses uh, 1 through 15 on there? No? Okay, good. I'll read it. If you have your Bibles, which you should, turn to Acts chapter 2. Darn, I revealed that really cool thing that's coming up. But it's not cooler than what we're going to read right now. Acts chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. All right, if you're not there, say hold on. Okay, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Buckle up, here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? As they gathered together, as those 120 gathered together in that upper room, all of a sudden, instantly and instantaneously, everything changed. Suddenly and instantly, God showed up and everything changed. Not just for that little group, not just for that 120 in that upper room, not even just for that, that huge group of people from all over the world who got, but it changed the course of history for you and for me. Okay? When God shows up, everything changes. And I want to take a second and I just want to think about the two different ways that God showed up in the New Testament. When you think about Jesus, the Son of God, how did he show up? He came as a baby, right? And you think about it. Probably in the nighttime, it was quiet, still, okay? Not a lot going around them, all right? The shepherds were the only ones that showed up, and it's just kind of low-key when, sh- when Jesus shows up. Now, look at how the Holy Spirit shows up. Violent wind, fire all over the place, people speaking in languages they don't even know. It's like all of a sudden the doors burst open, burst open and the Holy Spirit goes, here I am. It's like, this is my fa- one of my favorite songs. Here comes the ready and now. I love that. It's like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just goes, boom, here I am. All of a sudden there's just all of this commotion, all of this miraculous stuff going on, and the Holy Spirit is on the scene. Okay? 
And so we're going to spend the next like six weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is the person of God that we talk the least about. And the Holy Spirit of God is where we get our power from. And so you'll notice the little change in our, in, in our logo here that it changes to, to the dove, which when you think about that when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came and landed on him like a dove. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be, you are not going to want to miss it. You're going to want to invite people who aren't here to be here as we talk about the power of the Spirit. But what does it mean for us this morning? Have you ever been, have you ever known or heard of somebody who by their mere presence changes the room? Who by just showing up, they change a situation? Do you know somebody like that? You've been around somebody or heard of somebody like that? Last weekend, a bunch of men from here at Lighthouse, we were in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, walking the grounds of uh, Gettysburg, the battlefield there, that epic high water mark of the Civil War. And one of the men that we were introduced to was a guy by the name of Winfield Scott Hancock. Winfield Scott Hancock. And I don't have enough time to talk about how amazing this guy is other than to say that his nickname given to him, given, not proclaimed, given to him, his nickname was The Superb. That's his nickname. How cool is that nickname, right? So he was known as Hancock The Superb. When he showed up, people began to have hope. When he showed up, the battle began to change. When he showed up, people began to rise up, put their chests out, and began to move forward in bravery. In fact, there's one guy who is quoted on May 3rd at Chancellorsville, 1863, when he saw Hancock, who was, as usual, in the middle of the battle. This is what that man said about Hancock the Superb. He said, I became a hero by that man's influence. That's big time right there. I became, I became a hero by that man's influence. When Hancock the Superb showed up on the scene, things changed. And I'm going to tell you right now that when the Holy Spirit of God showed up on the scene, everything changed. Not just in that moment, not just during the Pentecost festival, but from that point on, my friends, my friends, everything changed. So as we wrap things up this morning, I want to share two things with you. And I hope you'll write them down. I hope you'll pay close attention. I'm going to go through them quick. The first thing is this. The Holy Spirit changes everything for anyone. The Holy Spirit changes everything for anyone. Think about what it said. It said, all of them were filled. All of them were filled. Men and women young and old, rich and poor. Check this out. Jesus was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. People could see him, they could hear him, they could touch him. He walked this earth for 33 years and then he ascended into heaven. Gone, okay? The Holy Spirit of God is with us every second of every day, always. 
Jesus, 33 years, Holy Spirit, always. Do you realize what that means for us? I mean, think about it. We we talked about Hancock the Superb. Think about what it was like for the disciples as they're roaming around seeing Jesus do all of these different miracles. They're saying the same thing that soldier said in Chancellorsville. I was made a hero by that man's presence. Okay? Those disciples. But Jesus was here and then ascended and gone. The Holy Spirit is here with us every day. People had to travel from miles and miles around to catch a glimpse of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God is with us always, every day. And if you don't have hope, that should give you hope right there. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit of God does not discriminate or segregate. I want you to hear that again. The Holy Spirit does not discriminate or segregate. Okay? All of them received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is like a storm surge. Okay, it's like the ocean hitting land during a hurricane. When it hits, that storm surge does not discriminate. That storm surge doesn't come in and hit the house and go, whoa, 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 hold on. That's a rich person's house. Let's go around. No, 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 doesn't happen. That storm surge doesn't come in and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a dude's car right there, and he speeds all the time. Hit that car, but leave her car alone. I kind of like, no. No, that storm surge hits everything in its path. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. Holy Spirit of God doesn't discriminate, doesn't segregate. The Holy Spirit of God hits everything in its path, which leads me to this. Remember I said the Holy Spirit changes everything for anyone. Notice I didn't say the Holy Spirit changes everything for everyone. And here's why. Because we have to submit to God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to force his way in the door. Holy Spirit isn't going to make you accept him. The only way things change is for those who open the door willingly. For those who submit themselves, which is a hard thing for us as Americans to understand. Because we submit to no one at no time, ever. But to bend the knee... And say, God, I am yours. I submit to you. You are my king. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And then the change begins. The Holy Spirit changes everything for anyone who is willing to submit. Is there a difference? Is there a difference in how you live your life? I mean, let's be honest. If If I'm not any different, if I don't live my life any different from my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, you really got to start questioning my faith, right? You you really got to kind of start looking and saying, I'm not sure about that guy. If I continue to argue and scream about masks or no masks while ignoring the needs of my neighbor, am I really changed? If I continue to yell and scream, if I don't extend grace and mercy to people who who don't even ask me for it, if I'm not generous with my my money and my time and my energy, the way that God is generous with me and his love and his grace, then you really have to look at it and say, Doug, it's impossible, impossible for you to have any kind of joy 
or contentment in your life because you keep chasing things that are only going to disrupt your life. But when you submit to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit changes everything. If I'm living my life in anger and fear and selfishness and pride and gossip and lack of self-control, any of that in any small or large amount, let's be honest, I can't live a satisfied and joy-filled life. If I'm living in the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes me. It changes me. I want you to hear this, okay? No spirit, no change. No spirit, no change. And so we, we see people who proclaim to be Christians yelling and screaming about things that just don't matter. We read their Facebook posts and see them, you know, on Twitter tweeting these God-awful things. And we really have to question is the Holy Spirit there? Because that's not a reflection of God in how I'm living, in how I'm talking, in what I'm doing, in what I'm thinking, because change comes through the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no change. Living in the Holy Spirit, life of change. It's the Holy Spirit that changes everything. And my friends, if you and I are not, if we aren't finding, our, finding ourselves growing, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not. Okay, that girl right there, sitting right there who I'm married to, she can tell you I'm not perfect. Okay, she can point out things probably from yesterday that reveal my imperfections, okay? But man, I continue to look and say, Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, grow me. Holy Spirit, help me to come in line and submit to the Father. Change me so the world around me changes. And if I'm not changed and changing, then I have to question whether I really am submitted to God. It's the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the second thing, and it's this. It's never impossible. It's never impossible. Would you say those three words with me? It's never impossible. It's never impossible. Can you imagine Jesus roaming the countryside and he's, he's doing all these miraculous things? The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute talk, the lame walk, dead people rise from the dead, okay? And then Jesus has the audacity in John chapter 14 to say, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, Whoever believes in me is not only going to do the things that I've done, but they're going to do greater things than that. That's why I got to leave, and the Holy Spirit's got to come to give you that power to live that way. And I picture Peter and James and John and some of the other disciples kind of chuckling and laughing, going, Yeah, right, Jesus. Yeah, I'm just a lowly fisherman from, from the Galilee. I know nothing. On the, on the societal pole, I'm way towards the bottom. You, you're God. I kind of picture him laughing. I mean, that would be like somebody telling me, Doug, you're 57, 58 years old tomorrow. You're five foot nine and you weigh way too much. But today, you're going to slam dunk. And I would look and go, that's impossible, okay? 
Ain't going to happen. You want to talk about epic fail and a slam dunk, that's going to be me. But that is what Jesus said to the disciples, okay? See, that's the problem. Peter thought that he couldn't heal people, and he can't. John thinking, I can't heal people. He can't. I can't do the things that you did, Jesus. And you're absolutely right. But the Holy Spirit through you can. And that's where the power comes from. The Holy Spirit is the power. In Acts, if you have your Bibles, look in there, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. It says, utterly amazed. Remember, okay, there's all of these people utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that they can speak, speak to us? Uh, how, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And it goes through the list of the nations that are represented. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? Think about it. People from all around the world. H- how does that happen? How is it that people are there from all around the world? Remember at the very beginning in, 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 chat, in verse 1, it said, at that time on the day of Pentecost. And remember, there were people from all over the world who had stayed over for Pentecost, right? And they have all of these different languages. And it's as if God said, hey, do you remember when I said, uh, uh, do you remember when I said, go into all the world and make disciples of all people baptizing them in the name of the Father. Remember when I said that? Remember when I said, you will be my witnesses in chapter one, you will be of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Judea, uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? It's happening today. Now, I'm giving you the first one for free, guys. But from this point on, you're taking the message global. And it started right there, okay? And the first thing the Holy Spirit does The first thing the Holy Spirit does when he fills his followers, the first thing he does is the impossible. He does a miracle. All of a sudden, these people from Galilee who are low-end educated are speaking in languages they've never practiced. They've never studied. They're speaking the languages of all of these different people. And these people are looking going, how are they doing this? These are pretty much uneducated people. How are they doing this? It wasn't them. It was the Holy Spirit. The power of God's Holy Spirit immediately, first thing he does is a miracle. The first thing he does is not only a miracle that speaks and brings the gospel message, but it's a revelation that God's gospel message is not just meant for people who live in Israel, but meant for the world. That's you and me. That's you and me. When the Holy Spirit shows up, the impossible becomes possible. When the Holy Spirit shows up, the impossible becomes possible. When the Holy Spirit shows up, an impossible marriage on the rocks starts to change. And a husband and a wife begin to relocate that first love that they had and reconciliation begins when the holy spirit shows up that impossible child who walked away from god comes back to him 
when the Holy Spirit shows up, news from a doctor that a disease you have is incurable, is miraculously healed. When the Holy Spirit of God shows up, the impossible life of anger and bitterness turns to joy, contentment, and sweetness. Does it always work out the way we think it's going to work out? No, it doesn't. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, things change. When the Holy Spirit shows up, completely unexplainable things begin to happen regularly. Listen to me, church. Completely unexplainable things begin to happen regularly. Things that can only be explained in one word. God. God. So here's the question for you and for me today. What's happening in your life that can only be explained by one word? What is one thing that's impossible to you? What is one thing that's happening in your life that can only be explained by one word? I used to have anger issues, but then God. My marriage was going down, but then God. I used to have envy issues, but then God. I was sick and the doctor said there was no hope, but then God. I never had peace in my life, but then God. I was never satisfied with my life, but then God. My friends, the Holy Spirit is here. You want peace? Peace is never impossible with the Holy Spirit. You want joy? It's never impossible with the Holy Spirit. You want contentment? It's never impossible with the Holy Spirit. You want healing? It's never impossible with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes everything. And my friends, I have been waiting for probably about a year to begin this talk. Because I believe that the problem in the church today, not not necessarily Lighthouse, but in the church universal, is that we continue to live our lives on our own power. And we're going to fail every single time. Peter didn't heal people. James didn't go out and do miraculous things. The Holy Spirit used them to do that. And so the question for you and me is this. Where's my life? Where's the proof of the power of God in my life? I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of living a powerless, fruitless follower of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Those two words, the, that, that phrase right there is completely, it doesn't work. Fruitless follower of Jesus. Powerless follower of Jesus. Doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit brings power to our lives and we begin to see things that we never saw before. We begin to take steps that we never would have taken before. The things that make us nervous or scared, we begin to step out because we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the world begins to change. We begin to pray for people. We begin to pray for healings, whatever they are. And we begin to see God do things, healing relationships, healing emotions, healing hurts from the past. All of those begin to happen when we simply bend our knee and submit to God and accept the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me?
What is your impossible? With your heads bowed, just between you and God, what is your impossible? What's it going to take for you to wait on God and submit to him and let him fill you with the Holy Spirit? What is it that you need to give over to the Holy Spirit today? Will you pray for God's Holy Spirit? Are you lacking? Are you tired? Is there something missing? I know that there are a number of us, and there are times when I answer yes to all of those. I'm not content. I'm tired. Something's missing in my life. And what's missing is the power that was revealed on that day in Acts chapter 2 that is available to anyone. Do you want it? Do you want to begin to pray, or to live a life of power? Unafraid, unashamed, boldly moving out. A life that makes people from around the world look on in amazement and say, what's going on? If that's what you want, then ask for it. It's that simple. On a daily basis, starting now, you simply say, God, I submit to you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. And God will begin to change you. I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect and to pray to God. Maybe you're going to pray that prayer right now. God, I submit to you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. And that's the first step that you take. Would you all stand with me, please? God, thank you. We celebrate, just like during those festivals, the Jews would celebrate what you've done for us today and what you've done in the past. And today we celebrate that we can come together and worship you, almighty God, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, God, we celebrate what you've done for us in the past. The fact, Father, that you set your one and only son to die in our place, to take our sin and shame so that we can be made clean by his blood and the hope that we have because he rose again three days later. We celebrate today that in Acts chapter 2, you sent the Holy Spirit to be God with us every moment of every day, always. We celebrate that together, almighty God. And we pray, we pray, God, that this would be the first steps of change in our life. And just like for those, for that 120, it would rock our world because of what you want to do. We love you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, real quick, can you throw those three questions back up there for me, Wes, please? Okay, so we've got three questions. The first question is this. Just for you to ponder this week, okay? What keeps you from giving yourself entirely to God 
and being filled with the Holy Spirit. What, get, what, what is it? What keeps you from doing that? The second question, is there a notable, noticeable difference in your life as a result of your relationship with God? If not, why not? And I'm asking you to ponder these questions seriously to not just give the easy answer. The third question, what's your impossible? What's your impossible? Because your impossible is possible for God. My friends, we're going to close and we're going to sing, open up the heavens, because that's what we want God to do. That's what that 120 were waiting for. They were waiting. They didn't know it. They were waiting for God to open up the heavens. And that's what he did. And we close with a celebration of what God wants to do for us today.